Good morning, Liberty. Well, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and over here is Charlie, as always. Yeah, how's it going, man? It's pretty good. I have to announce that we are live for the first time. We're coming at you live from Nashville, Tennessee right now. On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the club goes up on a Tuesday. Yeah. And we go live on a Tuesday. The studio. The transition is complete. Exactly. How do we look? Exactly. (laughs) Now, what do we always tell everyone to do at the beginning of the podcast? The very first thing always is to use that sip and scan code that we've provided you throughout the entire inception of this podcast. Yeah. If you use that sip and scan code, whatever uh, beverage is your favorite beverage, here at the studio, we like this delicious Coke Zero. You can, uh, if you're on the Apple podcast, hit that purple subscribe button. If you're on places like Spotify, hit that green follow button, whatever you're doing, what that does for you. And Nate, you're better explaining this than I am. Yeah. But what it does for you is it brings our episode, the next one, straight to your phone. Well, yeah. And you won't have to worry about remembering to go listen to our episodes. You've got enough things to remember. Okay. You don't have to remember that you need to go listen to one of our episodes. Now, yesterday, I have to tell you guys. Yesterday was the most frustrating day I've ever had doing podcasts, ever. I don't know about you, Charlie, but overall, it was crazy. Ever? Uh, yes. Yeah, ever. It was ever. pretty. It was a pretty crazy day. It was nuts because we, we started late, first off. We didn't have our studio completely put together. This is brand new, first day going live. Uh, had some issues, had some phone calls coming in about work. Charlie got in trouble for dog fighting. He had to leave for a little <laughs> bit. My cat was at the vet. There's all kinds of things going on. And we had to end up recording four separate times to get yesterday's episode. Out this morning. Out this morning. Because <laughs> then I tried to release it yesterday, and I realized that I had forgotten to mute something that we left playing throughout the entire podcast. Very embarrassing. So yeah. uh, hopefully that doesn't happen today because it's live. There's it, nothing we can do about it. There's literally nothing. Yeah. We can't edit the episode before we send it to the podcast app. We can do that. But yeah. we don't because we don't do that. No. We, we don't edit. We don't edit. We're sending this straight out live. And now we have to do some news. It's time? It's time for the news. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I found I found this story earlier on Zero Hedge. Um, so this story says, this story says, Hong Kong police warn that the city is on the brink of total breakdown. Okay. So once again from Zero Hedge here, after nearly six months of protests in Hong Kong, the weekend demonstra- demonstrations which more closely resemble street skirmishes between black-clad protesters and the cops, have grown increasingly violent. People are being seriously wounded and even killed on both sides. And this week, protesters have apparently committed to another escalation. They've taken to the streets to disrupt Hong Kong's public transportation during Monday and Tuesday, forcing businesses to close and schools to cancel. Okay, so we really haven't spent a lot of time talking about the Hong Kong thing yet. Yeah, there was a whole NBA thing that happened. Yeah. LeBron James ended up in the middle of it. It also seems to be another one of those things where it was a little bit of the flavor of the week or two. And like now, who's talking about Hong Kong right now? Like no one, like no one. It's all about but, impeachment. But they're having the most they're having the most violent protests that they've had so far since the whole thing started. So I was doing some digging today on what exactly is going on there. So it says that Hong Kong police warned on Tuesday that the city is now on the brink of total collapse after a second straight day of violence and chaos. 
The MTR, Hong Kong Subway Network, closed several stations and reduced the frequency of trains to cope with the demonstrations. Okay, so with all this talk about what's going on in Hong Kong, Charlie, do we know exactly what it is that they are protesting? Do, do we know what that is? Because I know that I've seen some of it, and I obviously agree with their protests. Well, so there was an agreement between Hong Kong and China that China kind of still owns Hong Kong in a way, yeah. but that they were going to let Hong Kong operate as they see fit. And so Hong Kong kind of has its own pseudo government, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, it's still kind of beholden to the Chinese. Um, and now that that time has ran up or it's running up, the obviously China wants Hong Kong back. You know, they want to get rid of the, I guess it was a treaty or whatever that was signed. Yeah. And since that time is up now, it's, it's time for China to have the productive yeah. Hong Kong back. And so one of the main things that kind of triggered this was a bill that was going to allow uh, Hong Kong to extradite uh, their citizens to China, to the main government, the mainland government. And obviously, these people do not want to go to China because for whatever reason they're being extradited for the Chinese government not overall known for being very fair to its citizens so they were very unhappy with that and that so that was up for a vote and they actually asked that bill they did not vote to allow the extraditions to China but the people are still protesting so I was looking up what it is that they are specifically protesting and really it's 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 independence. That's really what they're right. pro- that's that's what they're fighting for right now. Now they've lucked out, and China the Chinese military has not came in to stop these protests because they would obviously the the Chinese military would win in this case. Uh, so they have not came in to do that yet. It's mainly it's just been the Hong Kong police. Do they have guns? Um, do the citizens have guns the in citizens. Hong Kong? No. Yeah, that's no, the they, problem. They barely even are allowed to have Facebook accounts, I think. I don't I don't think that they can have guns. No. We'll have to look that up real quick. So the five things that they want. I look this up just so I can know exactly what it was that they were looking for. Well, what is it that they want to win? So number one is a withdrawal of the extradition bill which has been withdrawn, um, but not completely. So it's still on the table. It's still in circulation. Uh, They've just decided not to go through with it. So they want that completely taken away. Uh, They want an independent inquiry into police conduct. So they believe that the police have been brutal and violent and have mistreated them, uh, and that they want an inquiry into the police conduct against these people. Now, they want amnesty for all of the arrested protesters so far, dozens of whom are facing as many as 10 years in prison on a colonial-era rioting charge. So this goes back a while. Colonial times. Goes back a while. A halt to characterizing the protests as riots. And then they want to restart stalled electoral reforms, uh, including direct elections. So right now I was looking it up. How do they do their elections in Hong Kong? Well, it's not a direct democratic vote. They don't all get to go vote. Um, They've got 1,200 basically hand-picked people, uh, most of them loyal to China, that get to vote on the, the people inside of the government for Hong Kong. Mm. So, so they don't like that very much. They want to be able to have a democratic vote. So, and they want more of a representative style government. Yeah, they want they, right. and you know, they've been waving they've been waving American flags while they're while they're doing this protesting. I mean, it's pretty crazy to see 
uh, and I've I've heard people like Bernie Sanders kind of uh, try to tiptoe across this um, and say that he they wish they would have had a better outcome in China that they were hopeful and that they were hoping that the Chinese government wouldn't go the direction that they did but unfortunately they did so it's kind of funny to hear people like Bernie Sanders saying yeah we hope that when the government had complete and total control of every single thing that they would go a different direction but they didn't and obviously <laughs> uh, uh they did not go the direction that we wanted and that's too bad well that's exactly the problem with communism is that you can hope that it's going to go one way. But once they have the power, there's no one telling them which way it's going to go. And there's no control over that no, anymore. No, there's no control. They, they got the guns. They can't vote. They got the guns. And there's nothing that they can do about it. So obviously these people are, are really unhappy. It's interesting to see um, people in a communist government, people living in the communist country waving the American flag for freedom while people in America are pushing us to go towards communism. They're waving the That's, hammer and sickle flag. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. Like, hey, just look over there. Look, look over there. Look and see what's going on. Um, but, you know, I don't know. They're not exactly great at looking at histor historical examples. Unfortunately, they're not great at looking at it. Yeah, no, they need to look <laughs> at that and say, look at this. And uh, they're not doing it. But, you know, everyone thinks, just like Bernie Sanders, everyone thinks that people are going to be different. This new leader is going to be different. You know, that's a problem. Well, and the essence of this is they're fought, they're they're fighting against communism because Hong Kong, at least in the Asia Pacific, has been largely free. And you've seen expansive growth in Hong Kong because of their free markets and their their largely free society as it compares to China and its communist ways. Yeah. And so they want obviously want to keep that. I mean, many, many people have escaped China into Hong Kong for a better life. And much like people have escaped other parts of tyranny to come to America or to come to parts in Europe or any Western culture. Yeah. Because Hong Kong is, is kind of predicated on the Western culture, the, the free market ideologies where they can free have free trade. Milton Friedman did a big study mm -hmm. on this called Free to Choose, I believe, where he went through Hong Kong and their practices and how it's much freer and more prosperous than any other parts of the world. I mean, they're, they're right up there with Singapore and the United States and, and those types of places that have these, this boom in economy. And the, of course, over the years, they've, you know, become more and more and more communist. And then now obviously China wants to take them back. And I don't blame these people, but it's weird that the media is silent on this. Yeah. they That's very strange. They've covered it a little bit every now and then. And then every, you'll start seeing posts of people wearing, you know, staying with Hong Kong and, and, uh, things like that at the NBA games. And then it kind of just goes away kind of like everything else in our news cycle does. It, yeah. it hits, it's hot for a minute and then it just kind of goes away and everyone's on to the next thing, you know? So it's, well, what uh, I found strange about the NBA, obviously the NBA has a lot of money coming from China. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much, but the NBA's basketball is pretty popular in yeah. China. And so China does give the NBA, the national basketball association, quite a bit of money. I would say it's in the millions. Yeah. Several millions. I would uh, say, yeah. I would say uh, billions of yen, yeah, at which least, transfers over at least that many yen. to millions of yeah. dollars, maybe <laughs> maybe a hundred or so. Yeah. But anyway, and so now they're in this predicament <laughs> where it's like, okay, we still like your money, China. We want you, we want to have that, but we also want to stand for free speech and, you know, the freedom of people. And so we don't know what to do. And then, you know, LeBron James is unhappy because like, he was like, well... 
you're messing with the the money pool. And yeah. the GM of the Houston Rockets is like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I want people to be free. I got more money than you, LeBron. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Didn't Steve Kerr say something about it, too? I don't I, know. I'm pretty sure. I think I, I remember being kind of disappointed because obviously I grew up in the 90s watching the Bulls, and then Steve Kerr just comes out, and, and I'm pretty sure he said something against uh, the other owner's uh, comments on on Hong Kong. But anyway, I'll have to corroborate that. Okay, we'll Boomer. Yeah, exactly. You grew up in the 90s. <laughs> sure, kid. <laughs> All right. Uh, next story. You got it? Yeah. Okay. AI. This is coming out of the Washington Examiner. AI writes Trump speeches and 60% can't tell the difference. <laughs> so uh, this is a pretty interesting phenomenon we've got going on. So... From the article, in a test of how online technology could be used to interfere with the up- upcoming presidential election, six in ten people could not tell the difference between a real speech from President Trump and a fake one generated through artificial intelligence. In a unique project shared with Secrets, a computer program dubbed RoboTrump successfully wrote passages of a Trump-like speeches that tricked Americans, especially Trump supporters. Overall, the correct source... Trump or Robo Trump were picked 40% of the time, said the project's manager lawsuit.org. The analysis said, and I love this, while Trump's rambling style probably makes differentiating between real and fake more difficult than it would be for a more eloquent and talented speaker, implying that Trump's not an eloquent or talented speaker, which is true. Today's new natural language generation AI models have reached a tipping point in their ability to generate fake Real sounding text. (laughs) It's fake. This is kind of like we did an episode where we had that, uh, what's it called? Deep fake. Yeah. They had a deep fake voice of Joe Rogan. Yeah. And it was, it was strange. It's crazy. Kind of goes along with that. Have you seen the deep fake videos? Like the, where they, they can literally put someone else's face on someone else's face now yeah and make it look like that person. Like I watched this thing and I was like, wow, he's, that is an amazing impression. Holy crap. So if we go back to the playback of like the focus, right? Burning up, it's yeah. going to be me that did it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll fix you're, it. You're already working on that I'll, technology I'll have for you, good morning Liberty. I will have you apologizing for all of our mistakes <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, this I'll is, take responsibility for it because that's what I believe in. This <laughs> this kind of technology is, I guess, for lack of a better word, it's a little scary that this kind of thing can exist. It's interesting. Now, uh, they did say, obviously, Trump's speaking style makes it easier to make a fake speech of something that Trump would say because... Um, you never really know what he's going to say. So really you could read anything and say, well, yeah, I mean, judging by what he said in the past, he totally could have said that for sure. Um, now I will say, you know, just to his credit, he doesn't do a bad job when he's on the teleprompter, when he's actually giving a speech, like, like a state of the union or something like that. It's not terrible. It's really not terrible. Um, I really wish, you know, if I were him, if I were the if I were his avid supporters and and uh, I was the White House, I would I would try to have as many teleprompter speeches as possible. That's what you know when Obama had a teleprompter. Obviously, he was really good at delivering teleprompter speeches. And when he wasn't speaking from a teleprompter, it was uh, uh, a lot like you know. Uh, like that like it just kind of sounded like that all the time like when you was talking about if you could keep your plan oh, oh yeah that was well, terrible what we've said 
<laughs> what was from the beginning? From we, uh, <laughs> uh, well, the plan. Uh, well, we said that if you like it, you could keep it. <laughs> yeah, and he just kept fumbling and stumbling. Yeah, and yeah. mumbling. That's uh, you know, so he wasn't like perfect off teleprompter either. No. Um. So my, you know, if I'm going to be the president someday, I'm going to make sure I have mobile teleprompting technology that will just be unparalleled to <laughs> things that we've never seen before. Yeah. I will have Apple design a new teleprompting system. Maybe like teleprompt that. glasses, possibly. Yeah. We could do that. We I could like do it. That. All right. <laughs> this is a funny story. I just threw in because it was fun. All right. This is from thesmokinggun.com. A reckless driver told cops he was racing home after cheating on his wife. So... <laughs> Does, so does he get points for honesty or I, I think he was hoping the cop would be like, Oh yeah, I get it, man. All right. Yeah. No, it didn't really work out that well for him. So of course it starts like this. A Florida man. Of course. Yeah. So that's Isn't how there like this start. whole page dedicated yeah. to what Florida people do. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Almost all the crazy things happen out of Florida. And you know, what's even scarier. What's that? Florida is like one of the major swing states for yeah. deciding our elections. <laughs> you know, uh, and this is how they behave. Did you do the Florida man thing? Like with your birthday, you're supposed to type in Florida man and then your birthday. And it'll and, give you the and story. See what story. I haven't. Mine had something to do with a, uh, had something to do with a hostage situation where they used, um, they played cold play to try and like torture or like bring someone out. It was actually really funny because Coldplay has been one of my favorite bands for a long time. So Did anyway. Did you do like your birth year too? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it says, a Florida man pulled over Sunday night for driving recklessly, told police that he needed to get home in a hurry because he was cheating on his wife, according to an arrest affidavit. This is not funny that he was cheating on his wife, but no. the story, it, it, this is a dumb crooks news right here. Cops report that John Earl Pickard, 52, was behind the wheel of a 2015 Honda that was going in excess of 90 miles an hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone on U.S. Route 19. When stopped by a Tarpon Springs Police Department officer around 7.30 p.m., Pickard was apparently en route to his Palm Harbor residence following an extramarital... Uh, Assassination? I don't know. Pickard reportedly indicated his driving was reckless and endangering because he needed to get home in a hurry because he was cheating on his wife. Anyway, all this goes to say, don't just don't cheat on anyone, and you you won't have to get pulled over. You won't have yeah. to get any kind of reckless driving tickets or get your car taken away or anything like that. Don't do it. Just be responsible. And uh, you know, to his credit, that he was probably honest with the officer. I guess he didn't lie to the officer, but uh, you know. I guess he probably deserved whatever was coming to him right there. Um, do you have this uh, Saudi, uh, this Saudi promo video? I do, but you know, I was look, trying to look up during that presentation. I was yeah. trying to look up what happened on my birthday. What'd you get? I don't really get anything. That's not good. So this this contest must be over. Uh, I think it is now. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> I got uh, the one thing that came up for me is man is charged in 1988 slaying. <laughs> That's not good. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right, on to uh, Saudi. So, <laughs> all right. Speaking of. Speaking of slain, <laughs> we're on to Saudi Arabia. This is coming out of trust.org. It's a Reuters is the original post of this. Reuters. Yeah. So Saudi promo video labels feminism, atheism, homosexuality as extremist ideas. No shock there. Out of Dubai, a promotional video published by Saudi Arabia's state security agency categorizes feminism, 
homosexuality, and atheism as extremist ideas, even as the conservative Muslim kingdom seeks to promote tolerance and attract foreigners. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure they are. They're trying to promote that tolerance. Yeah. The animated clip posted on Twitter at the weekend by a verified account of the state security presidency said all forms of extremism and perversion are unacceptable. We will behead you. I didn't say that last part. But more it's, than, Im- it's implied. Implied, yeah. more than likely. Yeah. It listed those <laughs> concepts along alongside takfir, the Islamist militant practice of labeling followers of other schools of Islam believers. Quote, don't forget that excess of anything at the expense of the homeland is considered extremism, said the promo's voiceover. As part of plans to open up society and attract foreign investments to transform Saudi Arabia's oil-dependent economy, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam has pushed for a more moderate form of Islam and promoted nationalist sentiment. So um, I don't think this is very inclusive or tolerant and attractive. No, no, not at all. No. With Saudi Arabia. And you know what I quite can't understand? And somebody somebody said that this is a, what do you call it, a, a deflective argument. But it's like, <clears throat> if the feminists really care about, like, women's rights. Yeah. Why are they not arguing against Saudi Arabia? I don't know. That's why I put the story in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. And I don't understand how that's a deflective argument. Like, do you only care about women's rights when it comes to people who look like you in your well, own country? And so that's <laughs> that's like one of my main arguments with people who are like, uh, I guess, just love socialism or, or really want wealth redistribution. You know, if I was around Kyle Kalinske or Bernie Sanders, I would first ask this. Do you believe, uh, are you a nationalist? He probably would say no, more than likely. Do you believe in American exceptionalism? Do you think that Americans are somehow above the rest of the world? That if you're an American, then you're a more important human being, you're a better human being overall than people around the rest of the world? He would probably say no. He would say, no, I do not believe that at all. That's probably (laughs) what he would say. Uh, So then I would say, so why aren't you fighting for the wealth in America to be taken and then given to all the people who are starving to death in Africa. Right. Why are you talking about people who, compared to the people in Africa, are in the rich 1%? They're living lives that are uh, distant dreams for their grandchildren compared to the way that they're living in other places in the world. And so why aren't you fighting for our money to be taken to give an aid to other human beings around the planet who are obviously in need? No, you want to give it to people here in this country. Uh, I guess that's because you think that Americans are more important than other human beings. Well, and the, and they're not able to draw the uh, wealth gap lines that yeah. they can if they include the rest of the world. Because a newsflash, if you make more than $35,000 a year, then you're in the top 1% in the entire world right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Today. Right today, now. If you make more than $35,000 a year, which... Is almost a considered poverty in America. Yeah, you're in the you're one of the richest people in the world. Yeah. You're in the top one percent. You make more money than the bottom ninety nine percent of people in the world. So all this goes to say it's important to have, as Milton Friedman would say, a sense of proportion when you're talking about these perspective. things. Perspective are things uh, perfect. Is our life perfect? Are women's lives perfect in America? No, no. no. 
my life isn't perfect in America. No one truly is. I have women had it harder than men at times, obviously. Absolutely. Yes. That's, the, that's the case. But when you're going around talking about how terrible this place is and how Western society is evil and just awful towards women, it's important to look at other places in the world and have a sense of proportion to how people like you what their everyday lives are like in other countries. So and look while, at it throughout and, history as well, yeah. not just what's currently going on. Yeah. But what was human life like for mm. males or females, however you want to break it down, like throughout history? And you should always, you know, when looking at history, even if you're taking economics, things like that, you know, everything that we're fighting for right now that, that uh, Sanders and Warden Warren want to give to the, the poor people, Everything that they're fighting for, just say it's broadband internet or it's a, a, a certain kind of house or a drivable car. 200 years from now, people are going to look back and say, wow, I can't believe people lived like that. Like, I can't believe they only had broadband internet. This is terrible. And I can't believe they ha only had a car that did this. Well, it's something that we're striving towards. So, you know, you always have to have a sense of the perspective of the, the historical year that you're talking about. Like right now, we think these things 100 years ago were just awful. Yet at that point in time, they were living in a society that no one would have ever dreamed of if it was 100 years before them. Right. You know? So it's just, you've always got to make sure you've got your timelines correct, your, your geographic perspective correct. This little uh, world back here, I have this glaring right there. You see, in these places in the world, it's really, really hard to be a woman, like worse. It's a lot worse, actually. Um, you can't drive sometimes. You can't travel out of the country. You can't travel very far, really, at all without the permission of your man right. that you have. And so while your life might not be perfect, uh, just look at where we've, where we've came from, from whence thou has came. Yes. It would be the proper Queen's English in that one. So Well, and that's and the what I take issue with is not that we can't make improvements because absolutely we can and we should. What I mainly take issue with is people that want to completely tear down Western society as if there's something fundamentally wrong with Western society. Yeah. As if we are a tyrannical patriarchy, as people would say. Yeah. Or a dominating patriarchy. Now look is there some instances where men have treated women historically or even currently as if they were less than equal? Yes. Yeah. That has been the case yeah. before, but that's a very, very small proportion of how our society is actually fundamentally structured. Yeah. And to lay the blame at like capitalism or free markets or whatever you want to lay the blame on, you're wrong. You're just wrong. It's the Western society that has lifted people out of that. Yes. And the non-Western societies, it's much, much worse to be a woman or to be gay or to be, you know, anything like that. Much worse. Like, Way worse. Like getting beheaded in public kind of worse. Yes. You know? Stoned to death. They so still do that. Looking at our Western society and saying, this is the reason for the terrible plight of women. I mean, really? Are you serious? Right. Is that a real thing? No, you're just mansplaining, <clears throat> exactly. by the because you're a man. Yeah. So yeah. you wouldn't understand. I wouldn't get it. And the other thing I want to say is, like, e equality will never happen, by the way. No. Like, men and women will never be equal, even biologically. 
because there are just com- there's complete differences between men and women. Well, and no two people will ever be equal. There's, yeah, you, you and I will never be equal. We will never be equal. I will never be able to play basketball as well as you can. You guys probably can't tell on camera, but Charlie's about nine feet tall. So he can play basketball a lot better than me. So if we're living in the world where basketball is really important and like that's our thing, well, then I'm not equal to Charlie. I just won't be. And it's not because anyone impressed me or anything. It's just because we are not equal. People are different. You know, that's just a fact of life. Yes. And that's something the left used to celebrate is diversity. I know. I think it's so important that we're all different. We all have different skills, different beliefs, different backgrounds of what's makes it's what makes our society so great and wonderful. And to, to tear that down to where we're all at this equality level is just nonsense. Then you take away people's talents and people's skills and all their differences. And and why would you want to do something like that? What kind of society is that? Well, it's a funny ideology because it says that you have people are different and you have to realize that and don't treat them, you know, don't say that it's wrong that people are different. Each one of us is, is diverse and we need more and more diversity, but everyone is the same. Everyone yeah. is the same. You have to treat everyone the same. Exactly. And it's just, it, it doesn't really, those two things don't go together very well. No. No. So you should be, I think you should mm-hmm. be thankful. Again, there are, mm-hmm. are improvements that we can make. Absolutely. Yeah. But we should have a little bit of gratitude that we don't live in Saudi Arabia. I, I am thankful for that. Yeah. I, I am. By the way, I think they have like mm-hmm. 4,000 princes now or something like that. I think. That's a lot of princes. The crown prince has like 2,000 kids or something. It's insane. How many princesses do they have? I don't know. What's the ratio? It's a lot. If you ever want to go down a rabbit hole, you should start looking into the family tree of of the Saudi kingdom. (laughs) It's a lot of people, isn't it? It's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. It's absolutely insane. They do not (laughs) believe in monogamy over there. (laughs) No. So um, I'm going to skip around the Robert Reich thing. We'll we'll do that at the end because he made some a crazy claim on Twitter that we have to talk about. Ridiculous. Yeah. But then I ran across this article on a website called AmericanProgress.org. If you... Uh, don't want to beat your head up against the brick wall today. I severely, I severely recommend that you do not go to that website. Just do not do it. I did it for you. Okay, I did it for you. Well, Human Progress? No, it's called AmericanProgress.org. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's all about how terrible we are. So anyway, this says trickle down tax cuts don't create jobs. Okay, so let's talk about it. Let's see what the article had to say. In 1993, President Bill Clinton raised taxes on top earners from 31% to 39.6%. Conservatives predicted disaster. Instead, the economy boomed. 23 million jobs were created and the economy grew for 32 straight quarters. By contrast, in 2001 and 2003, President Bush cut income taxes substantially, lowering the top rate to 35%. That's substantial, by the way, because they just said that President Clinton raised taxes to 39.6. He lowered it to 35%. Uh, Top rates on capital gains and dividends. Conservatives maintain that the tax cuts would turbocharge economic growth. In fact, conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, predicted that growth would be so strong that the United States would entirely pay off its debt by 2010. Instead, the ensuing years saw weak growth, followed by the 2008 economic collapse. 
and that which now they're linking in with the fact that we cut taxes. Yeah, by the of way. course. Just subtext there. And as economist Danny Yagan has found, the, the steep cuts in dividend tax rates signed in the law by President Bush in 2003 did not increase corporate investment or worker pay. The Bush-era tax rates stayed in place through 2012, but at the end of that year, President Barack Obama struck a deal to restore the 39.6% top tax rate and raise the tax rates on capital gains and dividends. Again, many conservatives predicted doomsday. However, the economy grew steadily, and the expansion is still continuing. So now got to take credit for what's happening under Trump, right? Oh, there, yeah, of course. At that point. Of course, um, the growth that they just credited to Obama, they did not credit to George Bush's tax laws, uh, or they didn't credit what happened under George Bush to Bill Clinton. But they are going to credit what's happening to Trump to President Obama's tax laws. Yeah, of course. They they, they need to do that for it's, sure. Because that correlates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, you get to the side. You get to the side. doesn't matter. So the, the idea in this... You know, which we will talk about and we agree with is that if you cut taxes, if you keep hand, keep money in the hands of people who are more productive, then more production will ensue, which will be more jobs for everyone and everyone will see a better standard of living because of that. So this article is saying that that's not the case. Now, I, I picked out a few, a little, a couple little nitpicky points here because what we have, this is a good example of something uh, called correlation and causation. Mm -hmm. So we got to figure out which one we've got right here. Or in uh, normal speak, it's these colors don't run. Yeah, that dog know? don't hunt. So the I want to say one thing before you get started on this. Yeah. That most people, that everyone needs to know. Trickle down, trickle down economics, trickle down tax cuts, trickle down whatever is completely made up term. Yeah. It's made up. No one's, no one's ever, ever said that. No one's ever said that. That no was one. on the the right. That was never their no. proposal. Reagan never said, look, trickle down tax cuts. Never. <laughs> he never said that. Is that your Reagan impression? I, I don't know what Reagan sounds like, <laughs> but I'm just telling you. I haven't listened uh, to enough Reagan speeches to know, but he said, trickle. He never said. No, he, he did not. He said he never said. <laughs> that, and you should take his word for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Trickle down, it's, it's made up. It's yeah. completely made up. Now, um, this this idea is that you can cut those tax rates for businesses and for people at the top, and that will work its way down to the bottom part of the economy and help people. So the, the idea itself is a pretty commonly held idea. So I wanted to go back through what this article said, by the way, because we have a lot of correlation here, but that does not necessarily mean that we found causation. He says in 1993, Bill Clinton raised taxes from 31% to 39%. The economy boomed. 23 million jobs were created, and the economy grew for 30, 32 straight quarters. Now, in this article, they have credited that economic boom with the fact that President Clinton raised taxes on the top earners, and that's why we had the economic boom. Now, what else happened during the 90s? And does anyone remember the fact that in the 80s, we didn't have the internet? And then in the 90s, we did. Yes. And then millions upon millions of jobs were created because of that. On the web. So this is, yeah. So this is a, this is a thing where they've taken the fact that tons of new jobs were created during the dot-com expansion, the big boost that happened. 
All those new jobs were created, and they've decided to say, well, Bill Clinton raised taxes. So that's why all the new jobs were created. Yeah. So then uh, they have to follow up with that, and they're going to show that George W. Bush, he lowered taxes. And then actually the job growth slowed a lot after that. Now, what, what also happened in 2001, which is where they start to pull their numbers, we, all, we have a massive terrorist attack. The largest we, one in history. We have the largest terrorist attack on America in history. Uh, in the middle of the New York stock market, like literally the World Trade Center, down, down there where all the trading happens. So the, the, the stock market crashes for a bit after that. And then we start spending trillions of dollars on war after that. Now, the economy slowed after we started taking out tons of debt, which now they've projected that the debt is because we lowered taxes, not the fact that we started two or three different wars during that time. Now we have like seven. So we have yet an, <laughs> now we have another correlation, but not necessarily causation. But they've decided to say, well, the taxes went down and our economic growth slowed and our debt expanded. So it must have been because the taxes went down. And they forget to mention the fact that we had a massive terrorist attack. We had the, the dot-com bubble that happened under Clinton. That bubble popped in 2000. And a lot of those jobs went away immediately. So that was one of the biggest stock market crashes that we've had. And then we also had 2001. After that, where the stock market took a took a dip after 9-11, and then we start spending trillions of dollars on war. But no, just so you guys know, it's because the taxes were lowered by a few percentage points. Right. That's why the economic growth slowed. That's It's not all those other things. So then we also have the Bush-era tax rates. They went away in 2012. And of course, we started adding to the uh, expansion of the economy again. Well, around that time... We were coming out of one of the biggest market downturn that we've had in in our lifetimes since the Great Depression. At, since the Great Depression at that time, well, the market lose like thirty percent or something like that. Uh, it was yeah yeah something Close like that, to that about thirty percent. Now you're coming up out of that. What do you know about you know how do you how do you explain the percentages here? You're gonna add a higher percentage of jobs if you're starting from a lower number. So that that's one way to so you could also say the unemployment rate was really high when Obama took office and he lowered it a bunch. Well, he started from a really high rate at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Now, if he would have started at say where President Trump took over, would he have still decreased unemployment by forty percent while he was president? Would he decrease it down to one point five or one point eight percent or something like that? So you're making the assumption that um, all of this expansion happened because of these tax policies. When you're actually picking up from the time that we came out of a massive market downturn and everyone was starting to invest and put money back into the market again and back into more jobs. And there was at that point in time, there was nowhere to go but up at that, at that point in time. Even I could have went up. Yeah. We're also slowing down some of the wars at that point in time monetarily because we're switching to just droning people all the time instead <laughs> of a, a whole bunch of troops on the ground. So we, we uh, ramped down the military spending at that point in time. So it's just a, you know, it's important to realize when people are playing these kind of tricks on you in an, in an article. Now, I'm not saying that the tax, the tax rates going up and down had no bearing on the actual economic numbers, but you can't make the argument that pointing that at the tax rate and how many jobs we had 
that that's just a direct correlation between those two or a, dex, a direct causation from the tax rate. Because another thing they're not taking into account was how many of those during Obama were government jobs being created. How many of those during Clinton were government jobs being created? If did President Bush slow down the creation of new government jobs at that time, yet the private jobs kept increasing? So you're taking kind of washed, washed you're out. taking all of these things out of account and just deciding you can name one thing that it was and it's because we raised and lowered tax rates on the on the one percent i just what I, what i don't understand is if you follow their logic which seems to say their logic here seems to say that the more we increase taxes the better the economy does so why don't we just tax everyone a hundred percent Perfect. And then also accrue as much possible debt as we possibly can, and yeah. then life will be perfect. Yeah. Um, that's Wouldn't actually, that make sense? That's a really good point. I don't know why you would only want to raise taxes up to 40%. Why not raise them up to 100 and we'll just live in a perfect society right. at that point in time? Because if the, if the GDP growth in the economy is directly in causation with what the tax is for yeah. the top income earners, yeah. we'll just go all the way to 100. Yeah. Don't stop at 40, you know, <laughs> keep your principles, 35, 35%, you know, the evil George Bush that put it down to 35. That's just obviously it led to economic peril. Yeah. No, never mind the fact that government forced banks to offer mortgages to people they should never have offered mortgage to. They completely changed all of the rules well, yeah, and, they- and they insured the banks. They told the banks like, Hey, if these mortgages go South, don't worry, we're going to bail you out. Well, yeah, don't worry. We'll bail you out. They, that's exactly what they did. They tied that collapse that you're talking about to the fact that he lowered taxes. Yeah. In that article. Nothing to do with government insuring, uh, you yeah. know, mortgage loans. <laughs> no. Uh, mortgage-backed securities. Nothing. The housing crisis had nothing to do with government intervention whatsoever. Nothing to see here. It's just because we didn't have enough government intervention, actually. Yeah. Not the. Don't worry about the fact that there were 160 government agencies controlling the banking sector at the time that this happened. Now, don't pay attention to that whatsoever. It was because of deregulation. Yeah. That's the what only it was. obvious. Yeah. Only obvious Ca- explanation. Capitalism. I mean, it's just blame. Unfettered. Unfeathered capitalism. You know, that's what capitalism is. When you, when you take away the risk completely and you tell someone you have to do this and if it goes poorly, I'm going to cover your losses. That's capitalism. 101 right there. Yeah. That's just capitalism. Yeah. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that more often. So do you want to do the Robert Reich uh, tweet, or Reich maybe? Robert Reich? Reich, Reich. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't even matter. It doesn't. Oh, so this tweet, you showed this to me earlier, that just, <laughs> it just, you know, it makes for a happy Tuesday. It honestly does. Such a happy Tuesday. The fact that this guy had any influence over anybody, <laughs> <laughs> just... Just listen to this. All right. A tweet from Robert Reich, Reich, whatever his name is. He sounds German. Um, He's probably a Nazi. (laughs) I'm kidding. Anyway, Robert Reich was secretary of labor under Clinton and served as economic advisor to Obama. Um, And so he was in some government or whatever. And the tweet says, there are basically five ways to accumulate a billion dollars in America. So he's saying these are the five ways that you can accumulate a billion dollars. Number one, profiting from a monopoly. Okay. Number two, insider trading. Those Enron guys. (laughs) Number three, political payoffs. Number four, fraud. Number five, inheritance. 
None of these has anything to do with being successful in the supposed free market. Yeah. Jesus. So here he ha- here he's named. Uh, th- he should write a book. Robert Reich's Five Ways to Become a Billionaire. <laughs> yes. That's, put those in there. This is what he's pinpointed. If you are a billionaire, it's because you did one of these five things. That's what he's saying. There's no legitimate way to become a billionaire. At all. No. Even if you made it from your business, it's because your business was a monopoly. That's that's what he's saying. Or right your business now. was a part of insider trading. Yeah, exactly. So Or you paid off, you know, the government. Obviously at this point in time I'm starting to ask myself, well, think about some of these billionaires here real quick. Well, you can take the richest people in the world and talk about you could talk about Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. And do they fit any of those criteria that he said for how they become, for how they became billionaires. Now, Warren Buffett is a trader, one of the most, I guess, the most successful or the most famous stock trader in history, um, worth a lots of billions, plenty, yeah. plenty of billions of dollars, probably. Um, but did he? What? So he's been insider trading this whole time. Is that how he got there? Well, you know, he owns a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. And I think they're known. They're known for their fraud. That's that's ex- why they're trusted. That's why people invest in them. Yeah. yeah. People are like, hmm, what's the most fraudulent company? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway. I'm going to trust those guys with exactly. my money. That's that's what they said. <laughs> or he must have inherited it. Yeah. You know? He must have inherited it. the only it. way. Like Sam Walton is his dad, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's that could be the only way. Sam Walton fathered all of these yeah. illegitimate billionaires. Right. <laughs> That's what he did. <laughs> okay, so okay, so how about Jeff Bezos? Now we had an interesting conversation yesterday with someone on Facebook. Yeah. Um with a friend who's going to school for economics. Yeah. So he's and a he, pretty smart guy. But he did come back and say that he should not have used the word monopoly. That's true. He did he's a he's a free market guy. He is. So what about Bezos? So how did when, he accrue his billion dollar wealth? So when you look at Bezos, now he he uh, did not just start his business with millions of dollars that his dad gave him or anything like that. He started Amazon with $140,000. So check off inheritance. He didn't do that. Not inheritance. Um, he was packing books and boxes on the floor of his house at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. So it's not exactly like he just came out swinging with a massive company here or anything. Right. But it must have been a monopoly at the time that he started. Now it's interesting that you can you can have a hundred you can take out a hundred and forty thousand dollar loan and buy yourself a monopoly at that point in time. Who would have known? I don't know why more people don't do that, honestly. Yeah. So this guy yesterday, one of our friends, we've known him for a long time, um, said that the way that Amazon came up was because they were able to have a government enforced monopoly. And I cannot in any way, shape, or form come to any type of agreement on that whatsoever. Now, the one thing he mentioned was the uh, click to buy button, the one click to buy button. Amazon holds like over a thousand patents. Yeah. Um, so they hold a lot of patents, obviously. And the one he, he named was the one click to buy. Now, this whole one click to buy thing, is that, was that like a big part of Amazon? Like, is that really why they got so big is because you'd only have to hit one button? Yeah. What if you want to buy multiple things? I like, guess. 
I mean, I, I don't, I just don't know why they came up if that was their thing. I don't think that was their thing at all. I think they had a lot of different products. They were a website where a lot of different businesses could list their products for sale and people could list their products for sale. Uh, my wife used to sell her school books on Amazon. She used to put them on Amazon and sell them at the end of the school year. Now, apparently that makes Jeff Bezos evil at that point in time, I guess because she had a website that she was able to list her books on and sell them. But this this whole idea that they're somehow a monopoly, most of the time, people call something a monopoly because uh, they have a large portion of the market. They're like the go-to name for something. And so at that point in time, people say, well, they've got a monopoly, obviously. This, those kind of figures don't even work out for Amazon. And they've got 5% of the total retail market. All retail sales, 5% of them are made by Amazon. And Amazon doesn't even own all of those sales. Remember, Amazon is a website where different people can list their products for sale. It's not as if it's Walmart. We go to Walmart and it's all Walmart products. That's not what Amazon is. You're buying from different sellers on Amazon. In fact, we are sellers. We are Amazon. sellers on Amazon. And just so you know, it's freaking hard to become a seller on Amazon. It's, it's really difficult. But so this idea that even Amazon is making those whole 5% of retail sales, well, that's not even accurate because they are not even the ones that are selling all of those goods. But then if you look at online sales, they're about 40% of online retail sales, still not even a, a, a larger proportion of the market than, than, you know, they don't hold they don't hold 51% of the market or anything well, like that. Well, what's the threshold for becoming a monopoly? What's, I don't... I, you just, what's the percentage threshold? You just decide at some point in time that they're... Now, I don't know... You would think that the word monopoly would imply that it needs to be one of something. One of something. Yeah, I think. At least. At least one. Honestly, I would think it's not even... You couldn't be more than one and be a monopoly. You know, uh, but in this case, you've got dozens of different options for buying things online. You still got eBay. They still trade on the stock market. They're still mm -hmm. a really big company. Um, every other Facebook marketplace. Yeah. Every other store out there sells things on their websites. And a lot of them offer two day free shipping because of Amazon. Right. And somehow Amazon's garnered this, this uh, reputation for being a monopoly. And I still don't understand why. Because they're not stopping us from selling products on our website. Actually, we're happy that they exist because they're helping us reach more people. Um, they're not stopping other people from starting their own retail businesses. Um, they don't even own a, a large, a, you know, over half of the market share for anything, let alone are they, are they the only supplier out there. So how is it that they are a monopoly? That, I don't, it's not. Do you have anything... The only thing, the only thing that I would possibly agree, if I'm being honest with Robert Reich here, yeah, is number three, political payoffs. Yeah, <laughs> and how do you do that? How do you have political payoffs? Well, you have a government that's so powerful that can actually dictate to your competitive market the hoops they have to jump through to get to where they need to go. Yeah. So I would say that the only way some of these large companies have any sort of um, roadblocks that they can put in front of their competition. It's through political payoffs. Yeah. Now they may be worth more money because of those political payoffs, but it doesn't mean that that's 
the only way that you can become a millionaire or a billionaire. Sorry. We're not talking about millionaires anymore because now Bernie's a millionaire. So now we got to go up. Millionaires are okay now. Yeah. Now anybody can be a millionaire. No problem. Yep. Used to be millionaires and billionaires. Now it's just billionaires. (laughs) Bernie can have $999 million. And be in the clear. Still be a great person at that point in time. Still a good guy. We would never, that <laughs> threshold has been up. Yep. Yep. No and problem. It's because we're all getting richer. Yeah, <laughs> That's why. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so the billionaire, right? The only ethical or the only way you can actually accumulate a billion dollars. Um, you know, the political payoff thing is because you see these massive companies and Amazon plays a part in this. Walmart sure does. Uh, your major car companies do it. Your giant pharmaceutical companies do it. What do they advocate for? More government regulation. Yeah. Now, why? Why would these massive companies argue for government regulation? Why does Facebook want to be regulated by the government? I don't know. Because it becomes more expensive and more difficult for the competition to compete with you. Yeah. What that does is people who are at zero, you have to uh, go over several speed bumps and jump through hoops and ladders Shoots and ladders, whatever. You got to sure, play that game sure. for hours. Got to. And but you don't have time to do yeah. to get to a level where you could actually compete. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that they've actually prevented you from entering the market. They've just made it more difficult through the government. This is the yeah. problem. <laughs> Facebook, Amazon, none of them are able themselves to stop you from entering into the market. They can't do that. They only the only way they can do that is by providing a better service than you're going to provide. Yes, which is a good thing, by the way. That's the beauty of competition or free market capitalism. Using the force and power of government, or using the government to create regulations that make it so much more difficult for anybody else to compete with them. Yeah. Now there are other, just you know, in the Sherman antitrust laws. Now we say that it can only be the government, but the other thing that they protect against is let's say Facebook with all their money wants to go out and they want to partner with uh, GoDaddy and Wix and Squarespace and uh, AWS and all these different people and all of them group together in what's called a cartel and they all decide that they're not going to allow any other people to come into the market. Now at that point in time, You've got your own enforced monopoly at that point in time, and and that is that is true. But that that is not what's happening right so what, now. So if somebody tries to enter the market, do they get do they kill them? Well, they just won't. <laughs> yeah, that's well, they would have. So what I, I lined out all those things because you would have to be able to use a website hosting service. You'd have to be able to use a cloud server hosting service and a website builder to be able to do all those things. And so they would get together and say, "We're not going to allow anyone else to do this." And so they they can do that, but that's not what we're talking about right now. It's kind of like if the banks don't allow you to accept online payments anymore, and yeah, you can't. This yeah. is this was a problem that happened to uh, is it Argon of Saigon or uh, what's his name? It's Argon. I don't remember the rest of it though. Yeah, I, yeah, on Patreon. Was, yeah, he was booted off Patreon, but then also it was Mastercard, I believe, that wouldn't allow him to accept online payments anymore. So now, literally. He can't enter the market because the banks have now decided that they won't allow you to process transactions. PayPal the same way. So the one the ones that do control the financial institutions, like how how are you going to set up an online payment service, even if you can get your website hosted and all of that, if the banks won't allow you to actually accept the money? Which is why people want to push towards Bitcoin. Which is why you have digital <laughs> currency coming yeah. about, because they don't want the, those few people to be able to control what you would call that cartel type monopoly. Yeah, if you sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to continue on to say that the reason why we advocate the libertarian principles that we do, the reason why we advocate for a, the smallest government possible or whatever you want to believe in, if it's anarchy, you believe in sure, but at least let's get to a government that does not have the power to be able to stop competition from entering the market. You know, we look at like the pharmaceutical company and we've talked about this in healthcare many times. We do not have a free market. Like in a free market, the government would not be introducing these inhibiting regulations that keep the competition from entering and, or making it difficult, more difficult. The reason why car companies advocate for upping the miles per gallon for, uh, including airbags for doing all this is because it makes it more expensive to start a car company. The reason why pharmaceutical companies advocate for more FDA regulations and the reason why it costs $2 billion an average of 10 years to get a new drug to the market is because it's very difficult for somebody to have a pharmaceutical company startup right now. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't have the funds nor the time to have a pharmaceutical startup, even if I have the knowledge to do it. It's a minimum of $350 million, by the way. That's going to be your base rate yeah. for creating your own medication, just so you know. And that's if that one gets approved. You probably have to go through 10 or 12 of them before they actually get approved. Yes. So that's why it's going to cost you about $3.5 billion to, to get one medication out to the market. And I'm, look, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not because people always come back and be like, oh, well, you just want to, you know, run away drug companies, produce yeah. whatever. Like, look, first of all, Nate brings up a good point on that always by saying, do you really think drug companies are going to make drugs that just kill people? Yeah. Because then they would lose their entire customer base and they wouldn't make any more money. Yeah. Second, I'm what I'm not saying is to get rid of all regulations and just have a completely unregulated market. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. I think in principle we could get to that point, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm explaining to you how things have gotten so expensive in this non-free market that we have, yeah. by the way. Yeah. That is being that people are blaming the free market on it being so expensive. Like, yeah. oh, it's just it's greed. Gotta be greed. <laughs> it's greed. There's no other answer. No other answer of how this all got expensive. Just greed. Just people being greedy. <laughs> well, it's it, it's like if you look at re the reason why things have become so ridiculously expensive in certain areas of the market, where other areas of the market have become so ridiculously cheap and efficient and quality, it it all has to do with the government interfering in the free enterprise system. Yeah. Every single time, Milton Friedman pointed to this so many times. In every area the government's involved in, it's, it becomes worse and more expensive. I'm yep. just telling you that's why. Yeah. So you would think, logically speaking, if we just kind of bring the government down a little bit to where they don't have as much power and influence in the free market, and you let the free market happen, think the quality would go up, efficiency would go up, the competition would go up, it, things would get cheaper. Yeah. And what does that do? That benefits the entire society. The, the, the entire society yeah and just so you know i can lay out my plan for you for a regulation free drug market okay are you ready i'm ready for it here it is those are all my regulations <laughs> just so you know no but i have I, just so you know i've got an idea for this and it involves the free market surprise uh, surprise, surprise. Sorry, spoiler alert. It's the free market. If you're going to create drugs, this is what would happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have the Good Morning Liberty Drug Research Seal of Approval group that's going to go out there and, and plant, place our seal of approval 
on whatever this drug is. And then when that goes out to the market and you see that, oh, well, typically drugs that have the Good Morning Liberty seal of approval on them, well, they do really well. And then you're also going to have, just so you know, some competing seals of approval come out. Maybe maybe uh, the Tom Woods seal of approval is going to come out and the Jason Stapleton seal of approval and the, the Ben Shapiro seal is going to come out. And these different drugs are going to have these endorsements, basically, by these people. Now, how are they going to get the endorsements? Really, it's going to be close to the same process, you know, similar to the same process they do now. They're going to have to do a certain amount of trials. They're going to have to prove that the medication is safe. And we're going to have to make sure that when the drug goes to market, that it doesn't kill all of the customers that take the drug. Because guess what? My Good Morning Liberty seal of approval is worth nothing if the drugs that I put my seal on kill people. So I'm not going to put my seal of approval on any drugs that are going to kill anyone. I'm going to be very diligent and make sure that that does not come back on me and ruin my brand or ruin our brand. And every, all the other brands that are approving everything are going to do the same thing. And so that way, when you're going to a, to a drugstore to buy some medications... You can say, well, here's one right here, but uh, it doesn't. It hasn't been endorsed or checked by any of these people that I normally have. You know, it's a. This is some kind of off-brand, and and no one's checked to make sure that this is safe. So, I don't really feel good about it. So now the companies are, uh, they are in, incentivized to go get those seals of approval. By the way, because they're going to have a harder time selling their medications, and when the people are buying the medications, they're going to say, well, I mean. GML put their seal on this. Oh, look at this. This is a Ben Shapiro approved thing. It's a little bit more expensive, but I know Ben Shapiro, you know, he's got a, a lot, you know, a lot better, a lot more stringent process. And we're going to be competing to make our approval brands stronger through that time. Now, I mean, even right now, they still have doctor, doctor recommended. Yeah. Or nine out of 10 pharmacists say this drug won't kill you yeah yeah what about the other one <laughs> what does he say <laughs> this i've got the same idea for restaurants too by the way because we both worked in restaurants for a long time yeah and you know that they've got to come through and they've got to check and make sure that everything's cool in the restaurant make sure that things are four inches off of the floor and make sure that the date dots are on everything that's in the fridge all those things have to be done well you don't need a government agency to go around doing that you need GML seal of approval to go around doing yeah. that because when you go up to a restaurant you say oh this one hasn't been checked out by any of these these brands that I know go around checking out things uh, I don't know if these people are going to be very clean you know the people I trust have not said that this is a that they do a good job and my my case for this is that those people in the private market that are giving out those seals those stamps of approval are going to do a much better job making sure that things are safe than the government does because everyone knows if you work in a restaurant you know there's a big list of things you got to run through and make sure that they're right when you see the health inspector walk in uh you even get tipped off by the health inspector before they come by uh actually if you've got yourself a nice crooked health inspector like in some of the places i've worked he'll literally tell you right before he comes in there so you can get everything ready before he comes in yeah and then he'll tell you yeah well i mean i'll be back in a few months it'll be cool it's, you know, your, your government health inspection means almost nothing. It means that you were ready at that one point in time, but the private entities that are doing this, well, they're going to have a lot more on the line because if their brand isn't worth anything, no one's going to pay them anything to get their stamp of, of approval. So you're going to have a lot better check process 
for this. Just so you know, the free market can do these things. I That's think what you I'm can saying. even go a step further where you have those seals of approval. But I think even the review system that we've set up that Amazon helped create actually yeah. is even better. Because I can tell you what, I don't buy anything on Amazon that doesn't have at least four stars or more. Mm -hmm. If I look at something and it's got two stars and the reviews are like, oh, this is bad or I had this issue, I go through and I read those things. Yeah. And lots of people do. And I think even you said that when it first came out, people were like, oh, I don't like this whole review process. Yep. And Amazon was like, well, then don't sell your product on our website because this one is of the, exactly what we do. It was in one of the marketing, marketing books I read. They were talking about how everyone was so mad at Bezos when they put that review thing on there. The sellers, all the sellers were super upset. They said, you got to take this off of here. This is stopping us from selling products. And he said, no, we're going to keep this. And uh, we're going to make sure that people are providing quality items or they're not going to be able to sell anything. Be better. He was the first <laughs> the first website to do this, this whole this whole rating system that we have. It was the first website to do that for all the sales. And now we have Yelp and we have yeah. what, whatever else like this whole review idea has come about. Yeah. And now people, even regular businesses are putting, you know, reviews on their website even. Yeah. Because now it's seen as a, it's a seal of approval. Yep. Being like, Hey, look how many people came to our store. Look how many people bought products from us. And look, this is what they're saying. eBay has the same thing. You have a seller's review. You have all you have the buyer's review, Uber, everybody's reviewing everybody. Now, yep. what does that give you? That gives you a much better picture of what the market response actually is to people's people's goods and services. Yeah. There's nothing to hide anymore. It's a public record of what you've done. Like, so we bought these new podcast arms you see here, right? Like, yeah. Look at these, you know, they go around, <laughs> you follow you around. They're, They're nice. amazing. They're really cool. You can go high, you can go low. Um, and I bought two of them, right? Cause we have two people doing this show. Well, they sent me, one yeah and in the box it said quantity two and in the box there was only one and so i sent him a quick message and i said hey mr road that's not his name but i was like uh you only sent me one and you said you were gonna send two and they said oh we're real, we're real sorry about that two days later i received my second one now had they not done that I could have written a real nasty review and a lot of people could have read my review and be like, Oh, well this company's not very reliable. We're not going to buy from them anymore. Yeah. And then what happens if they keep doing those kinds of things, if they keep being unethical with their promises, then what happens? The market decides not to purchase from them anymore and they go under that business no longer exists. You don't need no government to shut them down. Yep. The power's mm. in the people, the power's in your dollars. There you go. That's your campaign the promise power, right there. Yes. Power's in the people, the power's in the people. <laughs> That's a good pop filter yeah. you have on there. Power. Good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're at a, we're an hour and six minutes right now. So uh, we can probably wrap this, thing up. wrap this thing up. Guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to our first ever straight up, straight up <laughs> live podcast that we have going on right now. It's our first time doing it live. So far, and, no glitches? Uh, no glitches. Wow. Except for my hotkeys stopped working. I had the, everything set up on... Oh, yeah, I had everything set up on hotkeys on here and they've stopped working. But um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to us. 
Find us on Instagram. Go follow us on there. It's at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter. We are using that now. We didn't use Twitter until like two months ago, but people are following us on there now. And so now we're tweeting. Uh, so follow us. That's at Good AM Liberty because Good Morning Liberty is too long. Look us up on Facebook. That is Good Morning Liberty. And also, I got to tell you to go to our website. Just go to BernieLies.com. Go to BernieLies.com. What we've done on that website is we have modeled Bernie Sanders' homepage. We have right, modeled right here. We modeled Bernie Sanders' homepage. It looks just like his homepage, only it is the exact opposite suggestions for all of the fixes, uh, because that is actually what's necessary. Is the exact opposite of everything that Bernie Sanders is pro- proposing. So you can go to BernieLies.com and read some good articles on there and some great ways to have some of these discussions with all of our unfortunate socialist friends. Uh, so go do that, and also check out our merch store. Go to gml gmlconnect.com that's going to take you to our merch store where you can get a shirt like this look at this shirt it says free snowden free snowden that's pretty cool i don't know what it means but uh you just check it out check it out it says free free snowden free, snowden. free ed snowden ask Do questions it. we've also got these nice coffee cups back here uh look at this one bernielies.com on a coffee cup right there what else could you oh my god what else could you ask for that was so nice. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Go to gmlconnect.com to find that. You're a great merch model. Thank Nate, you. you Thank know? you. I'm gonna wear a different one tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, I've got a whole stack of them over here. And the best thing that you guys can do, besides giving us money for these products that go directly <laughs> towards defeating communism and socialism and these lies from Bernie, yeah, and his millionaire status. <laughs> The best thing you guys can do is leave us a rating and review on Facebook. How about that rating us, and review? <laughs> you can leave us a rating. Yeah, exactly. Leave us a rating. We're asking for them. Yeah. Uh, on Facebook, you can do it on your favorite podcasting app. Do it everywhere. It literally takes you like two minutes tops. And that helps us out tremendously. So if you guys do all of that, we'll be back again to do this again. We'll be back again to do this tomorrow live from Nashville, Tennessee in the studio. Tell us what you guys think. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.